0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Week didn't get quite finished uh, talking about take it or leave it, and we just kind of... Uh, surveying the idea that you can either take or leave an offense, all right, you can take or leave it, so I want to start back there and go with that, but uh, overall, mainly tonight, um, my subject matter uh, will be your response, your reward, your response, your reward, but uh, just bear with me, we're going to go back to Matthew 24, this is a verse of scripture that we read last week, and uh, start with verse... Uh, The first verse that I have, verse number 10. Yep, thank you very much. Amen, appreciate that. Matthew 24 and verse 10, Jesus speaking. The Bible says, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Verse number 13, I believe I had, but he that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. And this is still with our take it or leave it kind of like last week, but for the most part, I'll be talking about your response your reward. Let's pray tonight. Father, I come to you. I'm thankful, Lord, for the ability to be here again. God, with your people. Lord, in this midweek service Bible study, I know several of them have already, Lord, contended with what life serves and are perhaps tired in their bodies and have already, Lord, had problems and difficulties to deal with thus far in this week. I pray, God, you would strengthen them, reward their efforts, God, for being here tonight to come and center themselves once again around your word. God, we're appreciative, Lord Jesus, to have your word and allow it God to be able to speak into our life or in our life circumstances I pray oh God anoint us now God and give us instruction Lord through your word and we'll accept it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everyone say amen amen, amen. you may be seated uh, this evening last week we were uh, concentrating on the fact that one of the signs of the end times is that many uh, people will be offended That's what Jesus spoke to his disciples when they asked him what be the signs one of those things were that many would be offended. And uh, with that he also spoke how the love of many would wax cold. And that love being the uh, literal word, the agape or, or root of the agape love of God, that unconditional love that is not expecting anything in return, it doesn't demand performance. And so whenever that love wax code, it's easy uh, just to be offended because whenever offenses arise, that gives an occasion to exercise the unconditional love, the unconditional love of God. And we all agree that sometimes we hit the mark and sometimes we miss the mark. But hopefully, as we mature in the Lord, hopefully there's more days that we hit it than miss it. At least that should be our, our, uh, our endeavor to do so. But the Bible states here, if we can go just a little further, we talked a little bit about last week concerning that love, and, and we talked about uh, offenses again, picking them up or just leaving them there. And, uh, but if we look at verse number 10 in particular of Matthew 24, he says, Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and it seems as though relayed here in the scripture there is there is a progression a progression that happens a progression that takes place that the many that are offended offense seems to lead to betrayal and then that betrayal offense to betrayal and betrayal then leads to hate amen uh, a very simple idea or a concept concerning betrayal or its mean. In betrayal, we seek our own benefit or our own protection at the expense of somebody else. Amen. But lastly, whenever we come to this idea of hate, and we see that idea, even mentioned of in New Testament Scripture, and Christ even brings it to a higher standard in New Testament Scripture, so to speak, because he said that if a man would even uh, such a one as hate as his brother that he would be a murderer, accounted as a murderer. And that undoubtedly we understand to have eternal consequences. But the seedbed of all of that backing up in that progression again is taking up offense. Then comes betrayal. Then comes hate. However, in verse number 11 of Matthew 24, directly following this idea, uh, is that one of the indications of the end times is not just that many will be offended, but is also the idea that false prophets will arise. False prophets will arise, and they will deceive many. And uh, I, I, through the reading of this, uh, suppose or assume perhaps, but I think it's rightly assumed, that the many that will be deceived will be those who were offended. whose many also love has grown cold oh, I, in my opinion we're not speaking of a deceived many and that's separate and totally uh, from uh, the offended many and that's separate and from the wax cold love of uh, many but I believe all those many's are the same many's <laughs> okay and we're not talking about ant many okay <laughs> uh, never mind amen but the but, but, the, the many that are offended are the same many whose love of wax coat. And the waxing coat of their love brought about the offending. And the, the many then that are being deceived by false prophets are the many who have been, been, been offended. The reason why is because all it takes to deceive an offended person is to elaborate on their negative feelings toward the offender. Right. Sure. Come on. Uh-huh. Seen, seen it happen. Uh, seen it happen in church life uh, between individuals. Uh, and, and please understand the spirit in which I say this, but if, if somebody wants to sway the heart of an attender of a church, allow that attender, that attender, that attendee, however you wish to say it, to become offended at the church and some long ranger to come along from a number, another assembly and begin to talk about how bad they were done and how, yeah, that wasn't right. And there'll be some people that walk into false doctrine just because somebody is coaxing and coddling their hurts. And so they'll easily be deceived because they were already offended, but since someone saddled in their offense with them, they'll be easily deceived, even from truth. Sometimes, even, you know, Jesus called the false prophets in Matthew 7. He called the false prophets, he spoke of them as wolves in, in sheep's clothing, so to speak. And uh, the, 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 the character of a wolf is not to go after the healthy, but to go after the wounded, right. to go after the young. Uh, Not the healthy and the strong. And i I just throw this out here this evening. uh, We we looked and we hit on one time concerning the disciple Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed the Lord. And uh, this is just a pondering. This is not necessarily thus and so. But just for your pondering tonight, that if the progression is offense, betrayal, hate, is it safe to deduce, Bishop, that at least maybe inquire that perhaps the reason why Judas betrayed the Lord is that firstly along the line, he was offended at the Lord. And this is all presumption, but maybe he was a little offended of the inner circle that the Lord had. Maybe he was a little offended that there's Peter and there's James and John and that didn't include Judas. You know the headache that went on among the disciples. I mean, anything is possible, but nevertheless, he not being included in that spectrum of people, uh, from my understanding of the progression, if you're going to betray, then you somewhere along the line was offended. So I declare that there's a good possibility that uh, before Judas ever betrayed the Lord, he was offended at the Lord. Amen. And so we know tonight, though, through this series, we all don't stand alone. Uh, we all have had the opportunity for offense, and we will offend all. And I want to put everybody's hearts and minds at ease, and my wife brought this up a few weeks ago. She said, man, you've been talking a lot about those who are offended. What about the offenders? I said, just, we're not there yet. We'll get there. Amen. But, but speaking about offense, and, and Jesus, and notice this. Uh, we have the example of the Lord whenever we talk about offenses. Uh, the Lord in his greatest hour of need, greatest hour of need, uh, Calvary is just a short distance in, in there in his horizon, and his greatest hour of need. Those who were presumably the closest to him left him. If there's anybody that could have been offended, our Savior could have easily taken offense. Yet the Bible states, "Brother in First Peter." Chapter 2 and verse 21, speaking of this Christ, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. This is very plain Scripture. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He, was, he wasn't out trying to settle what he thought a score needed to be settled. But the Bible says, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Amen. I admonish us all that the next time opportunity for offense comes, let us commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. Amen. Rather than taking it, let's just leave it. (laughs) All right? And we'll be smarter by avoiding it. And as we stated last week, not only that, but we will leave it, if you will, inoperative, ineffective, whenever we don't pick it up. Amen? Now, speaking of people that's been in Scripture, now we couldn't go through the Bible and name all of them because, well, it would be all of them. Right? And so if, we, if there was ever a character in the Bible that could have felt justifiable... In taking offense, one such man of the Old Testament could be the man by the name of Joseph. Joseph could have felt very justifiable in taking offense because look at the whole story of Joseph, and probably many of you may know it very well, and I'm not going to walk through the whole story. But Joseph did not ask for one thing that happened to him, whether positive or negative. He didn't ask for the dreams. He didn't ask for the favor of his father. He didn't ask for the hate of his brothers. He didn't ask to be sold into slavery. He didn't ask to work in the household of Potiphar. He didn't ask to be betrayed and thrown in prison. He didn't ask to be forgotten in prison for two years. But remember, that's what he asked for. Remember me, that he was forgotten. He didn't ask to serve as second commander-in-chief under Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So anything that happened to Joseph in life, it's not anything that he asked for. Whether it be good, positive, or whether it be bad. And he received a lot of stuff. Some good, some bad, that he never did ask for. And I believe his story is the proof that just because there is opportunity for offense, you still have a choice whether to take offense. For instance, Joseph had not done what was accused, what he was accused of concerning Potiphar's wife. She was calling out that he had uh, raped her in essence, that this had happened. That did not happen. Uh, he was accused of it, but it did not happen. And there's uh, more on that story that we got to deduce from that. We cannot choose what happens to us. But we can choose how we respond to what happens to us. Now, that's a great line that we, we need to put in our living room, but it's a hard line to live by. Yeah, sure it's a hard line to live by. So, I, you know, Joseph couldn't choose that there was a prison or choose that she was going to cry, that she, she was misdone by, but he could choose how his response and his attitude would be toward that. Now, that is easier said. Everybody say it's easier said. It's easier said than done matter of fact it's real easy to tell somebody to turn the other cheek whenever it's not the red palm that's on your cheek <laughs> I mean we'd, we'd stand there and spout verses but whenever it's that whelped handprint on your cheek it's a little bit more difficult but here's how I know that Joseph did not internalize everything that happened to him and take offense because in his story When Joseph had the chance to seek revenge, he did not. When the opportunity was just lined up just right, where he could thrust in the sword and twist and say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, he did not matter of fact, there are at least two, there's probably more than that, but there's two major occasions when Joseph could have done this, and it's first whenever he first revealed himself to his brothers, remember they did not know him as Joseph, their brother, It'd been so long, didn't recognize him, he spoke in the Egyptian tongue, he used an interpreter so it's kind of masked over, but whenever he finally revealed himself to his brothers, the Bible says when they realized that's Joseph, our brother, that we sold into slavery, that our dad's thoughts been dead all these years, the Bible The Bible says they were troubled at his presence. They were troubled to be in the presence of Joseph. But you know what Joseph did? He wasn't like, yeah, you low down good for nothing scoundrels. Let me call these masses of men. We'll put you in stocks and bonds and lay stripes to your back and we're going to take your children. No, no, he didn't do all that. The Bible says whenever he understood that they were troubled at his presence that Joseph began to reassure them to not be grieved and to not be angry with themselves. The Bible paints real men and women. But here is somebody, if I could say like Elijah, was of like passions. And the opportunity was golden. He has not been under the, under the, around the table of his father for years. They've experienced that for all these years, had all that joy. He's been sold into slavery. Once you were sold into slavery, normally you never got out of slavery. You would marry a wife that was slave. You would have children that were slaves. They ruined his life can someone say it ruined his life i know because sometimes people felt like others have done that and they've ruined my life but whenever he had the opportunity to flip the coin over and do the same to them he says don't be great don't be angry with yourself what are you saying joseph it's all right he had a second opportunity to whenever his father finally died and passed away Uh, The brothers are thinking, dad's out of the way now. Whatever he wants to do. And his brothers thought Joseph would requit them the evil that they had done. But again, what does Joseph do in that moment? Whenever they're fearful and doubtful. Golden opportunity for him. If he was holding on to offense. Golden opportunity if he was begrudging in his spirit for all these years. To lay down the hatchet. But not so. Again, he allays their fears. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to do any harm to you. We see a similar response in Scripture uh, with the man by the name of David. David, uh, he had had a couple of good opportunities whenever he was a fugitive and a vagabond running from Saul for his life. Saul uh, throwing javelins and spears and having a conspiracy of people out to get him armies trying to go after this one man, David. And David had a couple opportunities where he could have smoked King Saul. King Saul comes into a cave at one time and David is back there in the recesses of the king and Saul's in a very compromising position. And David could have took his life right then, but he did not. Not only that, David had some of his own soldiers around him encouraging him, smite him to the ground, David. Can you hear it? He's done you so wrong. He's been trying to kill you. You've been a fugitive as a result of him smiting him, David. Take advantage of it. Do it right now. You know what? That's what a Abishai says. You don't even have to touch him. You just say the word and I'll take care of it. I won't have to smite twice. He'll be a dead man. How did, you know why? I believe David didn't take offense. He didn't internalize everything that had happened. How do you know it? Because when he had opportunity to do it and even had the encouragement of others to do it, he said, nay, 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 nay. I'm not going to do it, nor are any of you. I tell you what, it takes a big person to, that you can be done wrong without taking offense. Listen. If you don't take offense, that does not mean you weren't done wrong. Sometimes we equate in our mind, if I don't take offense, then that means I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the, the, the position in that I wasn't done wrong. No, you don't have to take offense to still be able to say you've been done wrong. Amen. Amen. And so, here is, here is David. He's been done wrong. But he says, I'm not going to take offense. And not only that, he says, I'm not going to allow anybody else to say negativity against this. I tell you what, it takes a big man that says, I've been hurt and I've been taken advantage of, but nobody else start talking about who did that. Come on. Yes. Come on now. Amen. What, yes, but in essence, that's what David did. Had prime opportunity, but he didn't. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse number 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place into wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Avenge not yourselves. Vengeance is mine. A lot of people read that and don't really put the saith the Lord in there. They just say, they just say Vengeance is mine. <laughs> I heard one person, he said one time, he said, vengeance is mine. Say, if the Lord, I will repay, but God, if you scoot over just a little bit, I can help. Amen. And I can't, I can't totally close my mind to that and say, I haven't thought that a time or two. God, you just, you know, you just kind of scoot a little bit and, you know, i would help you. and I'll be your servant in this one. Lord. You bid me go and I go. Now, there's something critical to recognize here this evening, and that is this there is a distinction between vengeance and revenge. Injuries are revenged, crimes are avenged. Revenge is an act of passion, vengeance is an act of justice. The object of revenge is your enemy, or if you will, the one that you took offense from. And revenge isn't normally returned in likeness, meaning it's usually administered to a greater degree than what the original offense was. That's not the case, though, with vengeance, which is just justice. It is a payment that is suitable to the crime. But revenge usually always goes with a payment that is increased mm-hmm. in comparison to what has been done. And at times offenses boil down to fighting for our rights. Offenses, fighting for our rights. It was not right what they did. It was not right what they said. And in it we want to prove that I am right. The best argument in marriage is a competition over who is right. But it's like a common phrase at the end of some documentations, all rights reserved. (laughs) Amen. The story is told of a rich man in Springfield, Illinois who insisted that a poor man owed him $2.50. Now, this is a few years ago, of course. Today, it would be $2.5 million. When the claim was denied, the rich man decided to sue him. He contacted a young lawyer named Lincoln, who at first hesitated to take the case. On second thought, he agreed. If he'd be paid a fee of $10 cash in advance for his services. The client readily produced the money whereupon Lincoln went to the poor man and offered him $5 if he would immediately settle the alleged debt. Thus Lincoln received $5 for himself. The poor man got $2.50 and the claim was satisfied and the rich man in the end foolishly paid three times the original debt just to gain his rights. And the moral of the story is this, folks. Value your relationships more than you value being right. Because in the end, here is the reality. You may never, quote-unquote, all right, quote-unquote, get over what happened to you. But somewhere along the line, you must get beyond what happened to you. Again, the story of David and Saul, it's a prime example of getting beyond offense or at least a good test whether you are offended by someone when David received word listen to me now whenever David received word that Saul was killed on Mount Gilboa and that servant came telling him that it grieved it grieved David David didn't get the band together to strike it up and throw the confetti and have a victory march and just say hey tell me where he's at and we'll go march and trample on his body no but whenever he heard word of what had happened horrible thing happened to someone who had legitimately or or at least in his mind had definitely hurt him he was not happy about that he was not happy about the, the, the mishap of someone who hurt him this is the Bible it's scriptural you know what it tells me it tells me that David had got beyond beyond that circumstance, beyond that situation. Insomuch so that even the servant was kind of proud about having taken the life of Saul. Yeah. David says, Come here. Guild him. Right. Amen. Yeah. Well, David, isn't this somebody that's hurt you in the past? Yeah. But that was in the past. Yeah. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 17, it says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thy heart be glad when he stumbleth. Verse 18, Let the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. In the Hebrew, the implications of the wording in Hebrew is actually this If the Lord would see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him, and turn it toward you. So don't rejoice whenever. Your enemy falleth, or something bad's gone, and your heart gets joyful because he stumbleth. Because the Lord may see and be displeased that all this happened and turn that wrath away from him and put it on you. In other words, don't, don't get all excited and throw a party about when somebody is reaping what they sowed against you. The law of harvest is there, it will happen. But it doesn't mean we got to have a party over it. Because doing this, in reality, it really sets and unveils what our true heart is. That perhaps we had a heart that was set more on revenge than vengeance. Amen? So David, he wasn't, he wasn't offended. He, wasn't, he, he was lamenting. He was crying the memory of everything that transpired while he was a fugitive, the, the javelins, all of that fresh on his mind. But at this time, David's own response reveals to you and I that he was beyond it. Amen. So we get offended with one another. I want to just kind of do a little transition here. We talked a lot about offenses between people. I want to transition here for a moment and talk about offenses in churches. Because until now, we've been talking about mainly offenses in people. I want to talk about offenses in churches because a common reason people change churches is over real or, again, perceived offense. People can take offense with someone within the church or they can take offense with the pastor and family, sometimes due to the preached word of God. And thus the attitude is is that the church they encompass the body of believers that the church has done them wrong and so it becomes a problem with the church now let me I want to give you some advice that was given me before I ever came home here and was thinking about coming back home and, and, and setting up here as, as a place until God would ever say otherwise and this is where I'm at until God would ever say otherwise this is where my concentration is and I'm not just looking in the clouds waiting for it to turn into the letters of some other church okay but what was spoken to me the advice that came to me before I ever came back home was this is that one of the first things Brother McGee you should settle is is that church is where God wants you to be Now, I state that for a pastor, but I state that for every saint of God. There's something that you need to get settled right now in your mind that this church is where God wants you to be. If you are here, that this is where God wants you to be. Why should that be settled? Because offenses will come. Conflict will come. Troubles will come. And you know the first question that will enter our minds if we've not settled that fact? I don't know if I'm supposed to be going to church there. I don't know if that church is for me. I don't know if we have the chemistry. I don't know if that suits me. I don't know if they have everything that my family needs. As long as you never settle the question anywhere you go that that's your church, you belong that to that church, that's my church... Anytime something rises and falls, goes wrong or doesn't quite meet your expectations, you'll question whether or not you're where you're supposed to be at. But if you get settled in your mind that this is where you're supposed to be, this is where I'm supposed to be a saint of God, maturing and helping in whatever way I can, the kingdom of God, then things come and go. But there's one thing that you stay clear in your mind. This is where God wants me. This is the family I'm supposed to be a part of. And I'm staying. so if you'll settle that fact if we'll settle that fact that we are where we're supposed to be when, when, when the other winds blow you'll not uproot unless of course and please don't mistake me I understand there are absolute God the d- divine God moves that God has a person go to another place I understand that jobs take place and happen and you know what that is that's the handiwork of God and all of that he could have prevented it if he wanted to prevent it amen so I understand there's things like that that always always happens Amen. But if the absence of problems, troubles, and offenses were the so indicators about whether or not you were in the right place or not, or doing the right thing or not, then none of us would be doing anything right now. And we wouldn't be a part of any church right now. And let me just be absolutely honest that there are some people that have that problem. They've never got settled on that a, a, a place in the world or at a particular church is their family is where they need to be and where God has them to be at. And since they never got settled on that, things rise and fall and they're looking for a new double doors to walk through. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, 18, brother, brother Cruz, but now hath God set, everybody say God set, the members, everybody say everyone. Of them in the body as it hath, everybody say, pleased him. Now just listen with me here for a moment. If God has placed me in the body, listen to me, among a certain church, someone hear me. I need to figure out what I need to be doing there. Because God has set me in the body, particularly in that certain church, for it pleased Him for some purpose. And so if I'm here, i got to figure: it. Why am I here? What should I be doing as I'm here? i got to find my purpose. And i got to execute my purpose. Rather than having a wandering eye for the next best thing in my eyes that's coming along. Or the next opportunity that sounds a little sweeter that's coming along. Just because an opportunity or there's more money in it or something sounds sweeter doesn't make it right if it's going against where God has ordained you. Now, if God says move, I can't say anything. You wrap my hands behind my back. If you said I prayed and it's God, so be it. Go with God. Go with God. This is just... A little pastoral, maybe, maybe. But listen, if the sole reason, because I've, I've had this sometimes portrayed to me, if the sole reason to go somewhere else is because, uh, Pastor Mia, I'm going to go over there because, you know, they really need such and such, and I'm going to fill a void that they have over here. I want you to understand something. The moment that you fill a void somewhere else, you create a void. So I, I, believe, I believe soundly concerning God's word that God has put us where we are, even in your church where you are. The psalmist said that God setteth the solitary in families. Uh-huh. God took us as solitary people, solitary individuals, and set us in, might I say, church families. Are we on the body of Christ? Yes, but he has set us in church families. And to change churches without the okay of God is to tell God that you didn't know what you was doing. God was happy with his choice. Why can't we be? (laughs) The Lord, and I, I mean this sincerely, folks, um, the Lord should really be a guide whenever you choose a church. It should not just be left up to Paul McGee, well, I'm going to, that's going to be my church. I should really have some guidance from the Lord that he's going to set me in the family and the, he's going to, I'm in the body but he's going to position me right in the body where it's going to best please him and I'm going to function to the best of my ability so he set us in the body as it has pleased him so listen, if we are a part of the first apostolic church and this is the best way I can explain it, but if we're part of the first apostolic church arm alright right, we're part of the first apostolic church arm then God has set us there for a reason And if we want to move to F-A-C-A-B-Z-X-Y-Z of the foot, yes, we're still in the body, but are we where God really wants us in that body? Just listen to this statement very clearly, and I'll be here for a little longer. (laughs) You can be saved and out of the perfect will of God at the same time. So the only time that real church moves should happen is if God orders it, God directs it, God changes the job location and then there should not be, and whenever that happens then there shouldn't be any offensive trail left behind you in your old church. There shouldn't be any bitter feelings lingering behind you in the old church. I love the phrase that, uh, again, much of influence of this came, came from, I say much of it, as I've gotten into it, not as much as what I thought, but anyway, have come from, and uh, John Bevere suggests that an exit sign, uh, an exit sign when a person or family leaves, you know that it's directed by God legitimately for them to change church whenever he uses Isaiah 55, he says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That when you leave, let your exit be like that. You're led out with joy and be led forth with peace. In other words, there don't need to be a bunch of disgruntledness and bitterness and ill feelings and all this junk that's falling you behind. And let me tell you, what we try to do in the pastoral profession is we try to touch base with one another when someone comes back over. You know what we do? We call the other pastor, say, so-and-so's been here a few services. Are you aware of that? No, I wasn't aware of that. How, how did they leave? How was the conditions at home? Well, it wasn't too good. You know what we really want to try to discourage? People leaving with offenses. The right position of a pastor would be if they left with an offense, you go back home and you get the business taken care of. Amen. Remember, back in our series on Elijah, any time Elijah moved on to another place, it always hinged upon the word of the Lord came to him saying, I mean, there were even times it was, I mean, it was getting kind of, woo <laughs> you still want me here, God. But he didn't move until the word of the Lord came into him saying, sometimes it wasn't very hopeful, but finally somewhere along the line, God's word would come and say, okay, it's time for you to go on. And again, I, I love you. I, don't, I, don't know. I told you when I started, I don't have no axes to grind. It's just part of the curriculum, all right, so to speak. Offenses in churches. Sometimes people get offended at churches if they're not constantly recognized or encouraged. And then by not being so, they are offended. And other people, they get offended if the way something was done. If it wasn't done like they would have done it, they're offended. And the, the sad story to all this is they, they miss the benefits of longevity when you stay with a church. Listen to me. Psalms 92 and verse number 12, the Bible says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age they shall be fat and flourishing. Back back up if you will brother Tyler to verse number 12 now these trees the palm tree and the cedar tree these are two trees that are noted for thriving in some of the most unfavorable situations both are evergreens and as a result of that they are a picture then of year around stability They're green in the winter. They're green in the fall. They're green in the summer. They're green in the spring. What a year-around stability. And notice what the verse says in verse 13: it says, Those that flourish, look, those that be planted in the house of God shall flourish. Those that are the flourishing are those that are planted. Flourishing saints, flourishing Christians are those who find a place to put their root system in a church and stay there and allow those roots to get some depth and find some water deep in that soil. Those are the flourishing trees, those that are planted, that are stable, that are not constantly hopping around and moving here and there, but are solidified in an assembly. Now, a plant. Listen, folks. I don't know. I'm not a gardener, but I know enough to know enough. Amen. That a plant that is constantly subjected to transplanting every few weeks or months or years will have a diminished root system. For that matter, stunted growth. And if it's continued on a regular basis, it will die. saints that never get settled on this is my church and move from place to place they have a diminished root system their true Christian growth is stunted they're not near as far as they would have been if they just stayed put and if they continued that type of practice they might be outside the ark of safety altogether someday because when you put roots down somewhere and you stay there, those roots are going to get all twisted down in that soil. And due to longevity, we can call it old age. Look what the Scripture said. It said in in, in verse number 14, Brother Cruz, it said, they shall bring forth fruit in old age. Who's going to? those evergreens that stable all year round trees that's planted in the courts of God that's flourishing years go by and they haven't got up and moved and went here and there they stayed right where they are years go by even in their old age they bear fruit amen amen hallelujah so you can be if I can say it like this you can be fruitful and beneficial to your church assembly Whenever you just dig in and stay through every storm that happens. Amen. Down in Florida, the colder the, winters, the colder the winters are, whenever it was about ready to get cold, they was going to have frost. They'd spray all those orange groves with water. And that water froze on those plants at night. And the next day, would, it would, of course, melt from the heat of the day but they say that the colder that the winters are down there the sweeter the orange juice will be when it comes time to harvest but you just got to endure some things I've known people say sometimes drought doesn't do nothing but cause root systems to go deeper because they got to go deeper in order to find a water source but at the same time going deeper to try to find a water source they're making themselves more stable amen we're doing all right. I know, you're all good people, really. I'm not, I don't have nothing against anybody. I'm just teaching. Maybe someone will hit the podcast, you know. I don't know. We're just teaching offenses fences in churches. Mark 4, verse 16, the Bible says, And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Listen, listen very closely, lean in. because I'm just telling you just just beware that people that move from place to place are probably easily offended people. Why? Because they don't allow the roots to get very deep in any assembly or any church. And so as a result of it, when something, persecution, affliction arises, they're quick to uproot and go their own way whenever things didn't go like they expected. Now let me tell you, folks, I'm telling you, love everybody that comes through these doors. They come from somewhere else, let's love them. But you just bear Brother McGee's words in mind that if they've been to several different places before they ever got here, this here is nothing more but a rest stop. The Bible says they are sown on stony ground. You know why that's stony ground? Because there are already previous offenses in their way from where they were before. Somebody hear me right now. They didn't leave with peace. They didn't leave with joy. They have offense from the previous place. So whenever they're trying to put their roots down now, there's stony ground. There's something in the way already. And now the roots can't even get a good root system because of past offenses that they're leading a the trail with. And so at first opportunity for offense, immediately. It's not like a dance around a consideration. It's hands down offended now this is just good education folks I'm just, this is what go in with your eyes wide open but people with that sort of tendency develop uh, everyone is against me mode they come from another place they, that church did me wrong lo and behold there's five churches in their history that's done them wrong now they've really had a real bad roll of the dice or they've taken offense real easy or they've assumed that everyone is against me mode you know what happens then you begin to isolate yourself is there not a church good enough for you there's not a pastor good enough for you and so you isolate yourself to your demise remember listen you say your pastime I know it but we'll wrap it up here in just a little bit I've got to get through this Cain became, Cain, alright, the first murderer, Cain became offended at God and his brother and his brother. Offended at God and his brother. He kills his brother. That was revenge. And he leaves. Listen, he leaves, the Bible says plainly, he left the presence of God. And as a result. He sets out on a lifestyle of being a fugitive and a vagabond because he didn't stay and work through his feelings. Mm -hmm. And as a result, Scripture says, he could no longer cultivate the ground and wait for the harvest because he was constantly on the move. People that are constantly on the move, had a hard time being fruitful people because they can never stay around for the harvest. If you'll stand with me tonight, I'll close with this. This is very true, and I'll, I'll close with this. I really will. I really will. Paul McGee guaranteed, gonna do it. John Bevere said this. He said, Offended people steal may experience miracles offended people may still experience words of utterance strong preaching they can even experience healings in their lives offended people can't experience all that he says but these are not gifts of the spirit he said but these are gifts of the spirit sorry these are gifts of the spirit he says but not fruits He said, we'll be judged according to our fruits and not our giftings. He said, a gift is given. He said, but fruit must be cultivated. And guess what? That takes time. That takes longevity. That takes staying around. Amen. So your response, your reward, If I can whet your appetite for next Wednesday, I'll be talking along this line. God's sovereignty and Satan's devices. God's sovereignty and Satan's devices. In this series, we offend all. Will you grab your neighbor's hand if it's appropriate? Let us pray together tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter